That's hundred. What's going on, y'all? We are back for another episode of Monday Night Take. I'm excited tonight to have the queen in the house, Elena B from Options Bay. Y'all know what it is, man. She she every single day she shows up and shows out. Um, this is someone I've been rocking with for two plus years now. We actually met on Clubhouse. Uh, we hosted a lot of rooms together on Clubhouse back in the day. Uh, we had a lot of, you know, private trading rooms. I mean, it, it just everything, you know, the amount of knowledge, I, you know, I've gained from her and vice versa. Uh, shout out to our good brother, Jay, as well, too. Um, he's definitely been a, a integral person in, in my life. He helped me lock down my domain for my company. So just things like that, you know, you meet people online and then you connect with them and you just grow from there. So I'm definitely excited, you know, to have the queen on. We're going to be talking understanding options trading and markets uh, with Elena B. I think it's super, super, super important. Why? Because, you know, a lot of people are trading options and um, I wanted to bring on one of the best, someone I consider one of the best in a game to really break down options and help us understand, you know, what options trading is, how we can utilize it um, on a day-to-day -day basis, week-to-week -week basis, month-to-month -month basis. And um, the, her story, once you hear it, if you haven't heard it already, I know that you'll be inspired by it. Um, so, Elena B, go ahead and introduce yourself, and we're going to go ahead and get this show started. Unmute yourself real quick. <laughs> thank you. Yep. Um, but, yeah, thank you again for having me, Lawrence. Um, I'm Elena uh, from East Tennessee. I co-founded Options Bay and then later Investing Bay. Um, one of the reasons we wanted to branch off is because, like, options are just one lane, you know, and if you want to build wealth, there's so many lanes. And so one thing I like to remind people is like, you know, options are complicated. Like there, there's a lot of moving parts. I know a lot of times it's oversimplified and it just sounds like it's easy to do, but it really is a lot to take on. So just remember, there's always other lanes if, if you know, options doesn't work out, but it, it can be done. Right. It totally can be done. Um, but yeah, I trade full time. I mentor. Um, and yeah, Lawrence Amigo way back, like you said, um, he's somebody that like I've kind of watched over the last couple of years really like step in to his power. So it's been really cool to just like watch him kind of blossom. So, yeah, no, I appreciate that. Definitely. So uh, when when you first got started with options trading, you know, mm -hmm. how was how was overall your start? Where was your starting point? Because one question that I always get, you know, probably from most people is where do I start? So if you had mm -hmm. to talk to someone who's brand new, who doesn't really know anything, where would you tell them to start? Because I think one mix, one misconception mm -hmm. is that people, and we was talking about it a little bit before, people don't kind of understand all the variables that are at play before hopping yeah. into trading. And they just see kind of like the end result of, you know, hey, this person made X amount of dollars and I want to make money like that too. So yeah. can you kind of give some insight on what people should be doing before they even think about options? Oh, yeah. So the first thing that I would say is just like the learning piece. Um, definitely want to start like I started in 2020, March 2020. A lot of people came into the market after COVID. Um, I didn't know anything about the stock market. So my earlier success was luck. Um, it was of no, it was not me. Right. It was just the market itself. And so 
Um, I would say definitely learn about investing in general, not just options, but like stocks and long term. Um, learn how to like look, read companies, like learn about financials and fundamentals and like just really get your bearings on that part. And then the second piece of that that we were just discussing is the macro, right? Like learn about the economy. Um, like I'll tell you all this, like I quit my job in August 2020. And then September 2020, guess what happened, right? I got wrecked because I didn't understand seasonality. I didn't know that September was bloody um, historically. And so it was a wake up call for me to really take the other side of this serious, like behind the curtain, learning about the Fed and all the stuff that comes down with that. And I would even also add in this because we're seeing a lot of it this year, um, not even just here domestically, but like get into the global economy, um, like look at what's going on in China, right? If China's economy contracts, which it has been, that affects us too. Um, the war stuff, it's affecting trade, all types of stuff. So it's just, there's so much more to learn than just, you know, buying something and hoping for the best, right? Yeah, nah, definitely. And, um, you know, I see Uncle Charles, you know, actually, you know, posted a comment and, you know, it's so true. A lot of times people see online everyone winning and, you know, no losses or no struggles mm -hmm. and it's because I feel like both of us, like we can always talk about our losses and what we learn from it. And I hope oh, yeah. that this show really shows you guys, you know, our growth because me and Elena, we used to sit in the back rooms and people used to come in and be like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not losing on trades. I'm like me and her, we, we used to be looking at each other like. <laughs> We know this person, Captain. How they ain't losing? You know they never I mean? lose. They always break even. They always break even. Yeah, that's that's the magic number. You know, I mean, the magic thing. They always break even. So, uh, for me, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm I'm one of those people that's just like, yo, you know, you learn the most from you know losses that you've taken on trades, right? Mm -hmm. And you figure out what strategy really works for you. So, my next question to you will be like, how did you really develop your strategy? Because mm -hmm. what happens is, I think sometimes people kind of like deviate and they're like, okay, this works for this person. So I'm just going to do it. Oh, well, yeah. A lot has to really go into your strategy because some people, and you mentioned something that's important. Some people have a full-time job, but there's, mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that at all. And, and one thing that happens is I think sometimes people get caught up in over trading, knowing that they're not going to be able to watch it. Like it's tough to be a day trader if you're at your nine to five, because you got to, mm -hmm. especially if you're, if your nine to five is in, you know, really demanding and you have to, you know, do a lot of work, what, what is your balance like? Like, what is your balance like when it comes to trading? Oh, yeah. So the first thing I think anyone should do, because you know how like how you are as a person, like your actual personality, literally, that's the type of trader you're going to be. Right. Like if you're impatient, if you're impulsive, if you're reckless, you're not going to magically be the super disciplined person in the stock market. So you really have to like do a lot of self-work and just self-care, all that good stuff, and get yourself to like peak performance level. And then what that did for me was like, I know I'm impatient, right? I'm very impatient. I don't like, you know, leaps are not my thing. Like I've tried leaps and I'm in there for like maybe a week. And then I'm like, I can't, I can't, I got to free up this capital. Um, so like, that's just my thing. And so um, that's one reason I got into SPX because it moves so fast. I can just be there for a little while and then I'm done for the whole day. Um, and that's just my thing. And I think for anybody that wants to trade, um, get to know yourself. You know, a lot of things in the market emotion wise, you don't know how you're going to react until it, it happens to you. Right. Like I took a twenty eight thousand dollar loss on NVIDIA. I talk about it all the time. Um, and I can tell you everything I did wrong there. Like I didn't check the news. They had an acquisition of SmartBrain. I didn't have a stop loss. I didn't cut my loss. I just kind of froze. 
I had puts and it rallied like 30 points in my face. Um, so definitely like, you know, understand yourself and then also find your edge. You know, everybody, I think it's safe to say everybody has some type of edge when it comes to being a trader. And so you might be analytical, you might be, you know, patient, you might be, you know, whatever it is, um, find your edge and then build your strategy around that. And that's really like a head start. Yeah, I think one the one thing about like you said like finding your edge. I think that comes one one of I think that comes with time. Oh yeah. And you know, for me, I think what it is is a lot of times people are trying to start off too fast and put too much money into it mm-hmm. where they should just really just go with the flow. Like, you know, one of the things that I always talk about is like, yo, you know, make sure you're taking your time before just hopping into things. Like, even if you're one you're buying one contract which I think is important. I want to I want to go into the vault real quick here and um share my screen. Mm-hmm. And let me see. Okay, perfect. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen with you guys here. You guys should be able to see my screen now. Let's go ahead and So, everybody should be able to see my screen. Let's make sure so but we're going to go blast to the past, man. <laughs> so, this is one of my first trades uh, that I actually took when it came to options. Um, and as you guys can see, look at the timestamp here, right? It's October 4th, uh, 2018. So options were a lot cheaper to trade at this time. And I was on the hood at the at this time. I know some, I know you guys know what the hood is, Robin Hood. Um, but if you take a look here, you know, I'm pretty much gonna break this down. I want Elena to chime in as well. But for this particular trade, I bought two contracts of Nike, the $81 put. The stock was at, at this current current point in time, it was at $80. Um, the average cost of, of this particular option was $0.49 cent per contract, which was really, we know, $49 for those that are new to options. You always want to move the decimal over two places. The current value, right, was $1.11 cent. Um, and I had a dollar and eleven cent uh, value, which you do a dollar and eleven cent, which is one hundred and eleven dollars times two, which gives you two hundred and twenty two dollars worth of um, value right there. So this was one of my first trades. It was one hundred and twenty six percent return, one hundred and twenty four dollar in total. So this was, you know, this was one of my first trades and this isn't, you know, nothing to write home about. It's $124. But these are the type of trades that you're taking in the beginning where you're kind of getting your feet wet. So you kind of understand how options trading really works. That so percentage options, is nasty. Say that again. Also, that percentage is nasty. <laughs> yeah. So this is how this is how it starts. And I want to show people. Right. This is this is I want to show people. Right. So square. When I talk about Square before, it's not that I'm talking about Square like I haven't traded Square for an extended period of time. You know, I've traded Square for a long time. And so Square, you know, this was a company, you know, back in the past, you know, that I know a lot of people revered. But I learned about trading from really investing in companies first. So at this point in time, I was invested in Square. And if we look in 2018, if you look at most stock charts the last three months, you'll see that a lot of stock prices came down. So this was another one where I bought, you know, two contracts, you know, for about uh, $600 in total. And then price went ahead and went up all the way to, right? The value of this was $1,226, right? And so the value of this 
And then these two contracts, this was the 70, uh, 77.5 put. This was an in-the-money option, right? So all these things were happening, you know, super fast. Then I'm learning about the call option side, being long on something, right? So I buy average cost of 2.49, right? Current price of 3.20, three contracts, $960 in equity, sold this 28% return. So not everything is going to be a hundred percent, right? Not every single trade is going to be a Microsoft back at 100. So I'm just like, at this point, I'm just, I've already been investing in the market for like two plus years and I'm learning about now how I can hedge my investments. So this, and then, and I, I know Mark's going to like this, right? I'm going to use the, uh, Elena mentioned something that's super important. You have to know what's going on with your companies and pay attention to news. She talked about that. That was super important. So to give you guys some background on why I took this trade, WWE was very, uh, was in a situation where they just finished their first all women's pay-per-view where they only had only women wrestlers. And there was an executive at WWE who was saying some outlandish stuff about women. Guess what? That stuff hit the tabloids, it hit the news. And guess what? For me, I'm a consumer of WWE products, so I'm paying attention. So I'm watching the news. I said, yo, this is going to cause this stock to come down. This is some bad news. And guess what? Right? The WWE 75 put, right? Boom. You know, I had it, it dropped a few points. Um, it's down to $68.78. Boom. I was up, you know, 20% just like that. And I was actually at the WWE event. So I was in the airport getting ready to fly back to Atlanta um, when I was placing this trade. And then you guys can see the drop. It dropped another dollar, right? $68.78. It dropped another dollar here. Look at the current price. Guess what? I made my entire ticket money back plus my plane ticket. So this is the this is pretty much what I would say, you know, how I kind of got my start in, you know, trading options. Notice that you're seeing the same tickers over and over again. Nike, PayPal, you've seen WWE, you've seen Square, you're seeing PayPal here. You even see Twitter pop here. So my goal of just showing this is to show it's not about like how you start, because I think a lot of times people get caught up in focusing on like, how much did I start with? Where mm -hmm. am I at right now? And they're not thinking about the compound effect. How can you do and perform that way over a period of time, right? So I wanted to throw it back to you to kind of, you know, get your take. Mm -hmm. So like, I think a lot of times people get like, it's like analysis paralysis, right? It's like you learn so much information, you take in so much information, like you might try one strategy, doesn't work. So you jump to like multiple strategies, and like, just think of trading, like it really truly is like a probabilities game, right? So like, what you want to do is like focus on like, maybe one strategy to start, right? And you want to get consistent with that, get your discipline down, get to a place where you're consistently making money. And then like, just realize like when you, you know, we look for these high quality A plus setups, right? And we use our strategy and we just take it and we take our profit, we take it, we take our profit. And it's just a re repetition, you know, it's not about trick shots. Like these are, these are like free throws, they're base hits. Like we're just doing that consistently. And like, when you start to change things up, you literally move the goalpost further away from yourself and you decrease like your probabilities of actually mm -hmm. being profitable consistently. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, nah, I definitely wanted to. Um, I definitely wanted you to cover that when when you talk about strategy. Mm -hmm. um, what what is your main like? Because I know you, I know you trade a lot of weekly options. Mm -hmm. How how did you get your discipline so like tight and good? Because I know there's a lot of people out there that are probably watching and listening, and like, mm -hmm. yo, how does Elena get in and out of the SBX so fast? And like, 
they probably have a bunch of questions for you. But like, how did like how do you manage your risk? Like, what are, what are your risk parameters? And I always tell people everyone's risk parameter is going to be a little bit different because sure. you have a different risk tolerance. But how were you able to kind of like develop your system and really write things down? So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I had help. Right. <laughs> I have a mentor. Jay helped me a lot oh, with that. Yeah. Like discipline is his wheelhouse. But it really came down to like psychology. Um, mm. A lot of times when you're trading, we fall into these like bad habits, you know, and mm. it's really hard to break a habit like you might, you know, have a loss like a complete loss. And it's like, you know, taking a complete loss is it's a choice. Like, I know it doesn't sound like warm and fuzzy, but like to let your whole position bleed completely out. It really is a choice. Um, like stop losses are so important. Um, mental stop losses. I mean, people will use them, but I'm not a fan um, because what happens is you get in the field and you really start like making deals with yourself. Like, let's see what happens if it goes a little bit more Then you yeah. start hoping for the best. And it's just, it just, it's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it was just like retraining myself, like retraining my brain. I know this sounds crazy, but it's like, you know, like habit development and like, you know, if you're used to something and you've been in a situation before your brain, like yeah. comfortably reverts back to the old habit. So it's just all about making conscious decisions to make things different, make different decisions when you're at those choice points in your trading. Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, stop losses, I started off with 10% trailing stops. And then as my account grew, I went to five. Okay. Um, so, you know, 10% on $100 and 10% on 10K. That's like, <laughs> it's a different situation. Yeah, different. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now, nah, like, that makes a lot of sense. I think one thing for me that helped me when it came to tr trading options was like having a set stop depending on like whatever trade style. Like mm -hmm. if it's a day trade, I have a certain percentage, like, okay, if it, if I get down this certain percentage, I'm out no matter exactly. what, you know, if it's a swing trade, then I have this certain percentage, right? I'm out of the trade, you know, no matter what. And then also as well, you know, when it comes to a longer term investment, and I think a lot of times people, uh, and you touched on it earlier when it came to like leap options. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people think that time guarantees everything. Yeah. Where it's like, there's really no guarantee. It's all about management. I yeah. think management is one of the principles that is so important when it comes to anything in life. Right. But especially here, you have to be able to manage. Uh, what are your, uh, besides the SPX, obviously, what are your favorite tickers to trade options wise? Oh, yeah. Boeing. <laughs> Boeing was like my first love in the market. Mm -hmm. um, SPX, of course. Spy. Um, also, I like Apple. I like Tesla. Um, one thing I've noticed, and I guess I've kind of trained myself with this, is like I like volatility. So like when I try to trade other things, I get really impatient with it. So yeah. like I really try to stick to things that are highly volatile because that's just like what I'm used to now. Yeah, no, nah, definitely. Because, yeah, when you're trading the SPY, you're trading the Qs, you know, you're trading the indices like that. Obviously, they're, they're super volatile. So, you know, sometimes going down to individual tickers, you yeah. know, some days those tickers move heavily. Other days those tickers don't move heavily. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people have asked, uh, you know, me particularly to talk about this topic tonight as well, too. Mm -hmm. But we have the CPI index report that's coming out tomorrow. And then we also have the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell. So how do you how do you manage trading sometimes around these different events and economic events, certain things like a interest rate decision? Mm -hmm. uh, because sometimes, you know, people are looking to like hop into plays, et cetera, when this. But, you know, it could be super volatile. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we've seen market. We've seen the, the market drop 
100, the spot drop 150 points and then reverse and turn positive this year. So we've seen a lot of different volatile type yeah. moves. You know, how do you manage, uh, you know, sometimes keeping track of, of, of a lot of these different reports? Because when people get into trading options, a lot of times they're forgetting that, hey, this this is, you know, this report is about to come out at 10 a.m. This could you know, completely change the direction of my trade. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, okay. Everybody has a phone for the most part. Use your calendar, use the calendar on your phone. Um, so I use the calendar. I'm always checking on the economic reports for the upcoming week. Um, I don't swing into big economic data days. Like I'm not swinging into CPI. I'm not swinging into GDP. Um, my students know I even sleep. I sleep in on um, Fed days, like when the Fed comes out at two o'clock. I'm not waking up early because we're more than likely going to chop sideways all morning. And a lot of people get trapped in that. Like they'll just wake up in the morning, buy in yeah. and then we ride sideways all morning. So I'm not even in a hurry for that. Um, yeah. And yeah, if you understand like gaps and trading gaps. That will alleviate so much FOMO for you all. Like if you understand that, like if you go up, if you gap up, then just, you know, set a price alert for the gap. And then whenever it comes back down, just catch the downside and vice versa. Um, but yeah, don't FOMO is a killer in the market. I don't I don't like to try to guess how the market's going to run. I like to just react to what it is. Yeah, so your hack is sometimes sleeping in a little bit later. Oh, yeah. So I don't even get tempted. I don't even yeah. like to tempt it. Yeah, sometimes I think it's good because, um, you know, I think one of the misconceptions is, and you could probably allude to this, one thing that I would want to say is like trading every day, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they probably ask you questions or like, I know I get a lot like, hey, Lawrence, what you're in today? I'm like, you know, you tell somebody no and you're like, oh, you're not trading today? I'm like, yeah, yeah like, I mean, there wasn't maybe a position that I was looking at, you know, I think it's good to sometimes sit back and just observe. You know, oh, one yeah. thing that I one thing that I did in the beginning was just I used to just watch certain stocks like mm -hmm. that's really how I got a feel to be able to understand, you know, where price was heading to at certain times because I was a lot more patient. Right. I just I just took time to sit back and watch. So I would watch how certain stocks would perform in the mornings. I would watch how certain stocks would perform in the afternoons. Um, I would see certain tendencies like I would see I would be able to see. Okay, when good news comes out about this company, right? What what's what's his reaction like? When bad news comes out, right? Does it does it really affect the stock, or does that stock drop and then start to catch a reversal? Mm -hmm. Like that was one thing that I noticed about Tesla really early was like every time Tesla got bad news, yeah, it would drop initially, and then before you know it, by the end of the day, it's positive. Yeah. So it was like I like one thing you talked about was your edge, and the reason why I asked you what tickers do you like trading mm -hmm. is because Sometimes people are looking to trade the hottest penny stock that's moving, top, <laughs> you know, or they're looking to trade the, the top 10 mover every single day. And it's like it's so difficult because you don't really have that that repertoire. Yeah. Right? You don't really you don't really have that consistency of knowing what the options chain look like, because some people don't know. Not every stock is a good stock to trade options with. That's a fact. And, you know, you'll be sometimes get caught. One one mistake that I made and I'll admit to it was when I first started trading options, there were some stocks that I was looking to trade that had what we call wide bid and ask spreads. Yeah. Right. So where the bid is thirteen hundred, but the ask is sixteen hundred. It's just an example. So then I was getting into trades with market orders. <laughs> with, a bid and a, with a bid and ask that's separated by 300. Yeah. And then what happens is, is that I'm like, all right, hold on. I'm looking at my phone. I'm like, 
how am I down uh, $200 and I just got into the position? And so I want to break that down for people because I know they're making some of those mistakes, right? Uh-huh. Um, you know, where you're getting into some of these trades, like, for example, I can give you a list of companies right now that are probably not that you can't trade them, but because their options chains are illiquid, yeah. right? Two companies right off the top of my back that I already noticed is happening to is Snowflake and also uh, CrowdStrike, right? And you mm-hmm. can also throw in Zscaler as well there too, right? So a lot of those cybersecurity names, you can't really trade them on options how you would think you need to, right? And the reason is because when Elena's talking about, you know, volatility, right? The SPY is the most liquid options chain, right? The SPY is the most liquid options chain. So there's millions of contracts being traded at a time. But you might be coming to a stock where there's only a couple thousand being traded. And so there's not much liquidity in that thing. And so what happens is, is that I tell people that you need to pay attention to the bid and ask. Using market orders to get in options that have a wide bid and ask, that's a recipe for a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, like. Just for anyone that's not familiar with like bid and ask, like just remember there's only two things you can do in the market, buy and sell. So you're like your buyers, that's the bid they're trying to get in and the sellers that's the ask they're trying to get out. And you want to make sure those two prices are close together because like I know one of the reasons that like made me hate um, Robin Hood was like I was on. Well, sorry, I know that's like I probably shouldn't say that, but I was on uh, in the AMC when whenever AMC was running and like I had my um, premium was like $14, right? And then it was a penny, the, the bid was a penny. And I was like, I'm stuck in this. Like I'm totally stuck in this because they stopped the buying. Um, but yeah, if you look at the spreads on SPY, they're usually like a penny, which is a dollar in premium. Um, really one thing that can help with that is volume. Just look for volume and you should have enough liquidity. Yeah, no, nah, 100%. I was able to go to the vault here and I had a couple things pulled up. So this is an old screenshot, but just to, just for example purposes and what we're talking about. So if you take a look here, right, you know, if you wanted to get this 130 call at this time on Square, uh, you know, it was, you know, you had a bid of 17.50 and 19.45 was the ask. Yeah. Right. So the bid and the ask is separated by, you know, over $100 here. Right. Basically a $200 separation. And so what happens is, is that, you know, sometimes on farther out options or options that lack liquidity, you're going to see this. And so you want to make sure that you're using a market order. Excuse me, you want to make sure you're using a limit order instead of a market order, right? A limit order is where you're going to specify the price which you're getting in, right? And you have the bid and ask, but then you also have a price which is called the mid. And that's something that a lot of people should know. Right. And I've got a couple other options chains here as well for you guys to see. Just to give you guys examples. Um, right. This is PayPal at here. Right. Notice that, you know, pay, notice PayPal is a little bit tighter. Right. 60 cent. Right. I usually don't like to trade options that have bid and ask that are wider than a hundred dollars. That's usually my go to. Um, I really prefer less than 50 or 60. So this is kind of like right in that ratio. Like I like 30, 35. So one trick. And I know a lot of times people have questions. One of the probably, and you probably get this question as well too, is like, uh, what happens when I present an order and I go to execute an order and it doesn't fill, right? So if you're putting in the bid of 10.30, which is $1,030, and your order is saying placed and your order is not filling, well, that's because more than likely that option is not actually worth at that time 10.30. 
it's probably worth somewhere in the middle here. And that's probably around 10.40, 10.45. So you have to replace the order. Because a lot of times people are like, man, I was trying to get in a trade. I, you know, I, I put in the order. It didn't go through. And then the stock went up or it went down, depending on whatever side you're playing. And you're like, man, I missed out on making, you know, $400, $500, whatever it was, because your order didn't go through. These are the little things that, you know, you need to be paying attention to when you're purchasing positions. Right. Um, and I also had a question for you. Do you do you prefer right to trade in the money or out the money options? What Like what's your preference? So it just depends on what I'm trading. Like typically for my short term stuff, I like to go out a little just because I'm not going to be there long. And the time decay is like it's still a very important, but like it's not as important because I'm not going to be there that long. Also, SPX contracts are more expensive, so I like to just get out of there, get out of the money and, and buy more contracts. But um, depending on what I'm doing, like if it's a stock that moves slower or if I want to hold it a little longer, then I'll go um, in the money. Uh, really, I will go in the money. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, because I, I think a lot of times, you know, I like to do the in the money options. Uh, you know, that's my preference, my strategy. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing. And, and I think one thing is, is like everyone's strategy is a little bit different. So mm -hmm. for someone that's like, you know, a little bit shorter term, like doing like just, you know, just getting in like the scalps, some of those out the money options could be pretty lucrative. You know, you play mm -hmm. it the right way, you know, the, like a day, like even today, the spy, I think I went up, I think I went up uh, probably like five or six points, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. You know, so if someone grabbed some 396 calls when the spy was at 393, you know, those, those things didn't probably lovely today. So, um, you know, when you're taking a look, I prefer to go in the money, but this is my strategy. I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not trading that strategy. I'm more so going out 30 days, right? So if I'm swinging a position or in a position over time, I want to make sure that my delta is high, right? Mm -hmm. Because if I have a, you know, one thing that people don't pay attention to is is deltas, right? And your delta is super, super, super important as well as your theta. Yeah. So when it comes to your delta, your delta is the amount per dollar that you're going to make, right? And the reason a lot of people don't understand the mechanics, right? Because they're looking, they're like, okay, Elena just went crazy. How did this happen? Mm -hmm. Right. And it's because Elena is manipulating the Greeks. She's yeah. getting the Greeks to work for her. So she knows that, okay, I'm going to put X amount of dollars into this trade. And what happens is, is that when there's pretty much uh, a small delta and then a stock makes a run, right? If the stock makes a run five, $6 and you got in when the delta was 20 cents, but now the delta has ran from 20 cents to 60 cents because mm -hmm. your out the money option has now went in the money. You've paid less, but your option has went up X amount of percent because mm -hmm. of that volatility. So, you know, someone asked the question, what is considered a high delta? For me, um, a high delta, usually because usually in the money options are going to have deltas of like 55 and above. Yeah. So. That's what I would, my, my personal opinion in the money options is where, in my opinion, that's where it starts. Yeah. It's going to be 55 and above. So that's why for me, I like to start off in the money because I'm going to make more money per dollar already off the jump. But it is a good strategy if you're able to understand how to use the Greeks in your, in, into your advantage. Now for me, right, theta is one of the ones that a lot of times catches people, right? So when I say that theta, right, when I say that theta is one of your biggest things, right, I love to use theta to my advantage. So I want to break down theta from the seller side and from the mm -hmm. buyer side. 
right? So Theta can Theta works for me if I'm a seller. You see, Elena, she's the buyer. But if I'm the seller, Theta works for me. For her, she's the buyer. Theta works against her. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to capitalize on that next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minute move. She, she's trying to capitalize off of that. For me, I'm selling hope. So what Elena is trying to get you guys to understand is when she's in these trades, this is, and she talked about her personality, which was so important. She said, yo, I understand my personality. I can't be sitting around in leaps all day and sitting around in trades all day. That's good that she's able to identify her areas where it's boom, what's going to work for her. Now me, I'm a little bit more laid back. I'm a little bit more patient. And I'm going to let theta work for me. So if I sell somebody an option, right, that theta decay is higher. So what I tell people is, is that when I'm selling options, I like to sell them out the money. Why do I like to sell them out the money? Well, because theta is a lot higher, right? Elena's giving you guys a strategy and it's important to understand because both of our strategies go inside together. She's buying out the money options, right? Running up the capital quickly. I'm selling it. Now, why is Elena selling? The question that you should be asking is, why is Elena selling so fast? Elena is selling so fast because the moment that thing takes a tick and goes back down another five to six points, <laughs> that fate of decay is going to burn and run in my favor. Yeah. But in the event that I sold the option for a cheap price and the stock outperforms, Elena on the buy side, she's going to make a bag. Me on my side, I'm going to be left having to buy the option back, right? So these are things that I would say that work in both of our favors. And the reason why I say this is, you see, Elena can get into a, a out the money call. We'll use, for example, we'll, we'll use the S&P 500. We'll use that. Mm -hmm. Elena buys the 405 call on SPY that expires this Friday. We'll use that. And SPY runs up to 410 tomorrow. So Elena makes 500% return, right? We're just using examples here. She made 500% return. Now I sold her the 405 call, but Elena sold tomorrow once it made that 500% return. I can sit back and say, all right, let's see what happens by Friday. Friday, the S&P 500 closes at 402. That 405 call expired out the money. So it's going to be worth what? Zero. So this is, this is the way that you can utilize options both sides. A lot of times people just think about the buy side, but they also should be thinking about the sell side because for every buyer, there's a seller. So I, I wanted to really break that strategy down because a lot of times people are getting confused. They're mm -hmm. confusing a lot of times, you know, how to really manipulate the options and they don't understand the Greeks. The Greeks are super, super important, whether you're a buyer or a seller. For me, primarily 70, 80% of the time right now, I'm selling options, right? You're doing a lot of buying options, but both of these strategies work well but it's about knowing the situation, right? And when to use them, right? So I definitely wanted to highlight that and get your thoughts. Can I add to like, this is super important. Like you got to know, like it's so important to have a trading plan because like for me, I know that I'm scalping. I know that I'm not going to be there long. So I'm initially looking at the options chain through that lens, right? So like yeah. if I buy out of the money and it starts to reverse against me, I didn't buy in to be able to afford to ride anything in the opposite direction, right? So like when he's talking about making premium, if I don't take advantage of that, out of the money contracts, they do have higher theta in it on SPX. Like it'll blow your wig back. Like you can't do that. You cannot do that. Um, and that's another reason I like stops. But at the same time, like if you're buying in the money, right, you also want to buy time and then you have the luxury of being able to ride some of the ups and downs out, but you planned for that. So you really can't jump out of the money 
and change up the strategy, right? You can't go from a scalp to a swing trader because you literally didn't account for that. And I see that a lot. People kind of switch up the format once it doesn't go in their favor. Yeah, no, 100%. And like, I actually had something up here to show visually. So this is when Facebook was actually, uh, you know, <laughs> actually a little bit higher. But um, take a look here. I uh, pulled this out from the vault. Um, but I had this prepared for you guys just as an example. So stock, uh, stock Facebook uh, at this point in time was $194. Um, you had uh, the 165 strike, 170, 175, 180, 185, et cetera, 190, 200, 205, 210. So if you take a look, this is our call side. This is our put side. So all of these options are all considered in the money calls. On this side, all of these options are all considered in the money puts. So if you take a look, 165 has an 88 delta. 170 has an 84 delta, right? Has an 80 delta. Now you take a look at the theta, right? And look at how the theta is less impactful than here. Now, some people are going to ask the question, well, well, um, you know, this theta right here, right? Um, you know, is a 0 0.18, right? And this theta right here is 0 0.19. So what do you mean? Well, my point is, is that these options cost less, right? So with these options cost less, right? They allow you a cheaper barrier of entry. Your theta is more impactful. And so with this being cheaper, it's important to understand that if your theta is the same around the same, right? But you have a cheaper option, you got to understand that that time is burning a lot more. Mm -hmm. And so what this essentially is telling you is for every dollar that fa that Facebook goes up, you're going to make $42 from your option. Now, I'm the person that's if I was probably buying calls or on this particular trade, I would probably be getting a 180 call or probably 175 call. That's just how I trade. Because I'm looking at, and now obviously it's going to cost more, but guess what? I'm going to make more per dollar as the stock is going up, right? And then when the stock goes against me, if I'm putting time on my options, I'm allowing, you know, my positions to play out. Because to be honest with you guys, it's, it's, it's not to the point where sometimes you're going to be right, right away. I think it's important to sometimes to plan to be wrong initially. And what do I mean by that? And it depends on your strategy. For me, if I'm swing trading, I can't think that every second of the trade that I'm going to be that the stock is going to be going up or down. That's just not that's just not realistic. And I'm always looking at things from the standpoint of how can I best protect myself? Right. Mm -hmm. In the event that things don't things don't start off going in the direction that I was looking for. What where is my protection? How do I protect myself? Right. That's super, super, super duper important, you know, to me. So, you know, when taking a look at this options chain, you know, I want to be able to either use theta, you know, for my advantage. Um, and that can be like what Elena said is so true, because let's break this down. If you buy the 205 call on Facebook and then Facebook runs to 210, well, you just you paid an extremely cheap price, you know, for an option where price just ran up to 210 and you pay and you bought the 205 call. Well, you probably bought that for, you know, we'll just say $200. You bought that for $200. That was extremely cheap and it ran up. You know, you were actually able to make a, a great percentage return. So it's really just all about your risk tolerance when it comes to buying in and out the money options. And I think that's super important, um, you know, to highlight because some people are not super risk adverse. Right. And um, that's OK. So you really want to discuss that with yourself and really sit down and have a conversation with yourself and really say, hey, how much money am I willing to risk? You know, what's my risk tolerance? Because I find that a lot of times people are trading outside of their risk tolerance.
Oh, yeah. And I would say, too, like, make sure you're not over leveraging your portfolio. Like we have like a 10 percent rule, like you shouldn't have more than 10 percent of your capital in a trade. Um, that's just risk management, because like I know I had someone before they had I believe their port was like a thousand dollars and they were like, I'm going to trade SPX. And I was like, why don't you focus on SPY, you know, build your capital. Then we can talk about SPX later. They went off and bought a $700 contract and blew it up. And then it was just like, you know, I didn't want to be like, I told you so, but that just protects you from taking a bigger loss than you really, your portfolio can withstand. Yeah. I talk, speaking about losses, um, you know, one thing that, you know, I probably learned and, you know, in, in my time was, and that was so important is like making sure you're not over leveraging your account because um, it's very easy to sometimes get greedy. you like, let me get this. Let me get that. It's like a buffet line. you like, man, let me get this. Let me get that. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, goal setting is important. Um, like when you're trading, you know, is there I'm, and I'm pretty sure like is there like, you know, and you don't have to say the number, but do you have a number? where you're kind of like, okay, if I make this today or in a week or in a month or whatever, that I just stop. I think that's like, you know, one of the things that I think was helpful for me because sometimes you're like, you might go out there and kind of like force things, right? Yeah. Just because you're like, yo, today's another day. How did you kind of fight that urge? Because I feel like as traders, right? And you can be someone new or someone that, you know, maybe been around the block for a little minute. But I feel like sometimes we're like, you know, like a fresh werewolf, like, you you know what I'm talking about when, a, when someone become a werewolf, if you've seen in the shows, someone uh -huh. becomes a werewolf and they're like ready to go out there, you know, and just, just go crazy. Or someone just yeah. became a vampire and they're just hungry for more blood. Right. And so I wanted you to talk about that. Like, how do you control sometimes your emotional highs and lows as a trader? Oh yeah. I think it's really important to understand, like, I know everybody like always wants to have like those big, crazy, like blow up days where they make all this money and their family set for life. Right. It sounds great. But in reality, like you can still do that. But it's about like Lawrence mentioned earlier, the compounding effect. So it's like if you have the skill to go into the market and extract one dollar or ten dollars, like it's just about being consistent and constantly doing what you're doing and protecting your downside, right? Protecting your losses. And then eventually over time, you'll get there. And it's like, I think a lot of times people want to skip the time part and just get from A to Z. Um, but there's so many little steps in between that. And even when you see people, um, and I had to learn that with Jay, right? That, that sorry, Jay, but that <laughs> NVIDIA trade I took, I had just started trading with him. And I saw he had a trade where he bought like, it was like 2,000 or 4,000 Tesla contracts or something crazy. And I was like, oh, he's going big. I got to go big. But it's like, this guy's been trading since 2014. Like he's got a huge portfolio and mine yeah. really didn't have, I had no business taking a position of that size. Um, yeah. And there's a whole mental game to up, upping your trade size too. I won't even go there, <laughs> but that's a whole nother animal. Um, but yeah. I think it's just about getting comfortable. I don't want to say getting comfortable with losses, but really getting comfortable with confronting losses and cutting them because mm -hmm. um, just avoiding them or, you know, you don't want to wake up every day and hope to lose. But like Lawrence said, you want to have a set number that you're willing to lose and respect that. And like, you'll be surprised how your portfolio grows just by you protecting your downside. Um, literally. Like, yeah, nah, that, I mean, yeah, nah, that, I mean, that's super important because that was a lesson I had to learn myself. Um, and, you know, it, it was points in times where, you know, I had taken accounts from like five, ten thousand to like hmm, probably like 30, 40 and then drew them back down to like 20, 25 mm -hmm. just from not being disciplined. 
Um, you know, one thing that I would say is like that's super important was there was a week where and it was actually it was actually in 20. It was the beginning of 2020. So it was and it was a Tesla. And I'm pretty sure maybe some people probably been through it before. And, you know, Tesla had ran from it was about 576. It ran to like 962. And I probably got in around 636 on some call options. I was mm-hmm. already obviously you guys know I'm a, I'm a shareholder in Tesla already. Um, and it had ran from 636 when I got in and I had wrote it all the way to 962. That's beautiful. And I was up at nine. I was up probably about around like $920. I'll never forget it. I was up probably on that trade in like three trading sessions, like three, four trading sessions. It was like probably like $80,000. And it was to the point where I took profit on half my contracts, which was the good part. Right. So I took 40,000 pretty much off the table. And I then got to the point where I'm like, okay, this thing going to go to a thousand. And it went, it hit 962. Um, and it was at 350. It was about 349, 350 PM. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna swing it. And this is where I talk about greed. Mm-hmm. I was greedy, right? So I still have 40,000 in profit on the table. It got to about 358 PM. Tesla fell from 962 to 890. Oh my gosh. So it fell $72 in about eight minutes. Came back to my phone and said, what? I, you know, I'm down, you know, I pretty much down on, took away some of my profit. It was, my profit probably is about, about 15, $18,000. At that point, you know, I took, I I walked away from the trade completely, Uh took the money, took the money out, boom, you know, I'm out of here. So my message in, in, in talking about this and nah, this wasn't on a Friday, this was on a Tuesday. So it was still, excuse me, it was on a Wednesday. This was still early, like middle of the week. And, you know, it got to that point and, you know, I was like, yo, you know, these are things and lessons that you got to learn from, like, and you're always learning. And it came to it, it came to me as like, yo, you got to be, you got to really, really, really be appreciative of what you're seeing. And, you know, it was a real wake up call for me. And, um, you know, I think like those are some of the lessons that I could, you know, offer to people and tell people like, yo, continue to keep going because, you know, it's trades like that, that I'm appreciative. And I look back and say, yo, there's certain things that I used to do in the past that I'm not doing now. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like these are, these are things that I didn't like holding on sometimes to these winners that are going, you know, up to the moon. Right. Sometimes like it's okay to take profit. Profit is profit at the end of the day. Yeah. I think sometimes we get caught up in trying to chase, you know, this number, and it's like, man, just relax, you know, and I, I've been there before. So I definitely wanted, you know, to highlight that. Um, what else would I ask you? Um, you know, a lot of people, we talked about the out the money strategy. I'm glad we really went in depth on that. Talked about the Greeks uh, going into 2023. What's really your message to traders, right? What's your message to traders going into 2023? I would just say like, pay attention, like pay attention to like, you know, not only the economy, but just pay attention to where the money moves. Like, you know, this year was so crazy to me because I was trading things I never thought I would trade. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, you know, I like to trade SPX. That's like my bread and butter. But there are days where it's not a good idea to trade that. Like there's days where it's horrible. Even the spy, like, it, you know, we chop around 
And you always want to like, you don't want to limit your profitability as a trader. So yeah. I think it's important just to learn a strategy that you can apply, you know, where there's where there's momentum, right? Where you can make money. So like this year I was into corn, I was trading wheat, like I traded all the, we call them old man stocks, but I was trading all this stuff that I never would have even thought of fertilizer. Um, so yeah, just, you know, train yourself to see opportunity. Cause I know this next year, um, it's so crazy that it's like, they don't want to say there's going to be a recession. I feel like we're already in it, but technically they haven't called it yet. Um, yeah, yeah just, um, pay attention. Like I said, just see, watch where the money goes, lock in your profits and just be consistent. Just be consistent. You can always take your money and reposition when conditions change in the market. Like we're not in a rush. I feel yeah. like, um, what is it called? Like rush and urgency, right? Like when you get in a rush, you make mistakes. But yeah. you can move with a sense of urgency and be on point. And so you can take advantage when things are ready. Yeah, no, nah, definitely 100 percent. And, you know, heading into 2023, probably my biggest message to people is like, yo, you know, the market is, you know, I know there's a lot of people that are like, yo, you know, the market is you know, down, you know, you know, I, I think. I think there's only one part of the market, in my opinion, that's super down, and that's growth stocks. Mm -hmm. like if you look at a lot of the growth stocks, they're down, you know, 60, 70, 80, 90 percent. Yeah. And outside of that, I mean, I won't really like uh, and I know Uncle Charles is watching like <laughs> I got to give it up to to names like United Health. Um, yeah. Gamble, McDonald's, Caterpillar, uh, Boeing, um, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan. Mm -hmm. I'm just going through the list here of, of names that have kind of, you know, been able to either post some sort of positive return or, or, or stay upbeat and stay upright. Um, you know, also as well, you know, the cybersecurity space. Yeah. Right. And I see he talked about Boyle as well, too. Boyle. Shout out to Christopher Scott on that. That's I know that's yeah. it. <laughs> Boyle, man. Christopher Scott, man. He, he threw me an alley-oop and I, I felt like uh, we was like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade from 2011. <laughs> but um, shout out to Christopher Scott on that one. But, um, you know, when it comes to like the long term investing part, I don't want people to miss that you yeah. know, you have the opportunity to to buy some of the best stocks at extreme discounts. Like, listen, yeah. who, who would have thought you could buy uh, Tesla at 50 percent off yeah. at the end of 20? Like going into this year, before this year started, if you would have told me at the end of the year that you could get Tesla for 50 percent off, I, I might have said, I, I don't know about that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you got opportunities to even get names like NVIDIA, AMD. They've fallen significantly from their highs. Yeah. Um, you got names in the cybersecurity space. I believe cybersecurity is oh so important. So there's parts of the market that, you know, I'm looking at and saying, hey, you got to really take a step back and say this money that I'm making trading, the things that I've been able to accomplish outside of the markets. I really need to start thinking about the future now. Yeah. Right? We're kinda, I believe 2023 is one of those pivot type years yeah. where, you know, yeah, 2022, we had a rough year right in the markets and, and even outside. Some people lost their jobs, unfortunately, and companies shut down. Businesses fell. Interest rates went higher. Inflation was high all of these different things. Um, you know, I really super, 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 super believe that when it comes to long-term, this is a pivot year. Like automation is so important. I know people are seeing, you know, the chat GPT and are going crazy. I know people like automation is coming to take people's jobs. Like it's just a reality. It's no yeah. longer a, a fiction point. And cybersecurity is going to be one of the biggest, in, one of the biggest industries from a growth perspective. When you also take a look at cloud, that is just just going to continue to grow. When you take a look at, you know, automated driving, like all of that. I know Tesla's doing it, but 
just on a mass scale, right? When you start thinking about like there will be robots, right? I know, I know people are like still, uh, I don't know, right? These are things that are here. So when you take a look at AI, artificial intelligence, I believe that will be one of the best, um, you know, return on it um, from an investment standpoint. I think those that those will be some of the industries that I'm looking at and watching the closest. Um, so I'm I'm excited for it. Um, is there any stocks that you know you've kind of uh, found and, and you're watching? Heading into the end of the year that you're like, hey, you know, I, I thought that this was, you know, a good industry or a good company. Oh, yeah, I would add to just like definitely be thinking long term. You know, the market is forward looking, but also just some of these companies like some of them should have never been as high as they were to begin with. So some of them are getting these haircuts and they actually deserve them. <laughs> so like um, just keep that in mind. Make sure that the papers on the companies are, are good and they're solid and they'll actually bounce back. Um, and I would also say too, just for people who are new to the market, like, and this is just for me too, like, make sure, like, look how they perform during a recession or economic downturn. Like, look how that the company itself, like, how do they pivot? You know, how do they stay profitable? Um, how hard is the recession going to hit that company? Those are things you want to think about now, because this is like, this is my first technical recession that I've been trading through as well. So I'm learning kind of how to navigate this too. Um, but I would just say companies I'm looking for. Honestly, two that I've really liked this year, um, their fertilizer plays like CF and um, Mosaic, MOS. Um, they've been actually doing really, really well. Yes. Never thought I would be an investor in fertilizer, <laughs> but I actually like them a lot. Um, what else? Boeing. I'm looking for a Boeing recovery. Waited for. Boeing got a lot of jets. That's the Boeing. Boeing bits doing this thing. It's trying to stage a recovery, man. It's it, it went through a yeah. tough time financially, but it's trying to it's trying to come back online. Yeah. Oh yeah, and there was something else. We were looking at it last night, and I'm trying to remember what ticker it was. But the monthly was like forming a head and shoulders. I can't remember the ticker. I don't know. I'll, I'll tweet it if I remember. But um, check the check the big time frames, y'all. Check the monthlies and see what's really going on. United Health. Oh my bad. No, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> the United Health five year chart is nuts. Um, it is crazy. Uh, when you mentioned it earlier, that came to my mind. But that thing has been on the move. Like it's nasty. Yeah, let's take a look at it. Um, so let's take a look at some charts here. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. a six flags yeah you said six flags yeah and um i mean wow you think about it 2016 85 right <laughs> this thing is sitting at 500 look how you know beautifully you know it's traded uh you know pretty much off of this 200 day um ema right so my 200 day ema for those that are new is my blue line here so this is the average closing price over a 20 day period and so when a stock trades above this, like it has since 2009, right? That was the last time that it was considerably below its 200-day EMA for this extended yeah. period. So you think about that. Yeah, it had a brief drop here in COVID, but it, it immediately came right back up. And this thing has, has barely even sneezed at its 200-day EMA, right? Now, she talked about something when it came to these bigger time frames. So uh, we're going to pull up a few stocks and, and tickers here. We're going to run through these things. Um, you know, we'll go to the, we'll go to the monthly. That is a replacement. <laughs> so, you know, you see here, man, you know, I like to cover this stuff because this is, this is, uh, what we call basic, um, charting 101, in my opinion, basic charting 101, lower lows, lower highs, higher highs, higher lows. But you got a three, uh, three. Uh, these are the three phases of a primary trend: accumulation, public participation, and distribution. Right. 
So you see accumulation is here. Public participation is here. Distribution is right here. So during that time, I'm glad she mentioned that five year, uh, you know, that five year time stamp. The accumulation phase is super, super important. Right. And so, you know, this is the first stage of a new bull market is referred to as the accumulation phase. They have seen this type of market action before the pros and they recognize that stock prices are on sale. They are normally the ones buying in the accumulation phase. So keep that in mind. Public participation phase. This is when, right, you know, people start to tiptoe back into the market. The economy improves, right? You're, the market experience a long-term advance. And while the primary trend moves higher, right, with a few pullbacks along the ways, this can last several years, right? So the average bear market is, you know, every three and three and one and a half years. So if you're taking a look at this, what I'm showing y'all here is literally the keys to understanding what happened. You had Square, which was accumulating here from 2016, public participation from 2020 and 2021, a few years, and then we distributed. Notice, and I told you guys that the 200-day moving average is what we call our last line of defense. When we break below the 200-day moving average, that's pretty much all she wrote. Until you get back above this, this uh, line, your stock is probably more than likely going to trend downwards. You have to get back above just to, so people are like, OK, what is he talking about? I'm going to show you a stock that hasn't traded above its 200 day moving average in about almost two years now. Right. And this is Alibaba. It has not traded above its 200 day moving average in almost two years. And if you're looking at this right February 2021 is when it broke down, right? Below its 200-day move average. And it hasn't been back above since. Notice where this year in July, price tried to get above 125. Where did it reject off of perfectly? Right off of its 200-day moving average. It was not able to break above that. And price came right back down. We've also been making what we call lower lows and lower highs, which is covered in the first part of this book. Lower lows, lower highs, lower lows, lower highs. There's two parts of a trend, higher highs and higher lows, lower lows and lower highs. So if you're looking at Alibaba on the weekly time frame, what the queen was telling you guys is you have to look here. Alibaba has not made a higher high and higher lows since 2020 September. Let's put that into perspective. So when people are talking to me about China stocks, respectfully, I don't want to hear about them because <laughs> because these things are not making higher highs and higher lows. They've been making lower lows and lower highs for almost three years. Lower low, lower high, lower low, lower Lower high, lower low, lower high, lower low, lower high, right? Lower low, lower high, lower low, lower high, lower low, lower high. So this gives you an example. I know we had some people that said fintech was the future. I get it. It sounds good, but you know, this like when the queen talks about this stuff, she's telling you to take a look at the weekly and monthly charts because this tells you the story. Yeah. This is one of the first things that stand out to me. And I oops, I, I already had it. My bad. <laughs> I already had to work on PayPal done. So for one, we had a double top that was already here at the top of this chart here, right? One top here, two top here, right? Now, if you're taking a look, PayPal broke below its 200-day moving average almost, right? In, in basically in 2021, right? September 2021, about 18 months ago. PayPal has never been above its 200-day moving average since then. So if you're wondering what's happening with PayPal, well, look, every time you see stocks break below 200s, that's really where you see the bulk and majority of, of your sell-offs, right? Now, I know this is probably going to be a, a, a little bit of a controversial one, but just to give another example, we know Carvana, oh, rest, yeah. in, rest in peace. <laughs> but, but back here at 286, 
This is December of last year. It's been a year. It hasn't been above. But notice what happens when you're trading consistently above your 20 and your 50. The red is your 20. The green is your 50. Notice what's happening. Price is making its way up. Now, if you look, everything that happened in COVID was all these stocks just broke below 200-day moving averages. That's really all that happened when COVID came including the SPY, right? Well, I know people love the SPY, right? But if you're looking, the SPY broke below its 200 and it didn't start to recover until May. It, it recovered, excuse me, here in March, but it didn't start to complete this uptrend, right? Until we were able to get above this, right? Now, I want you guys to take a look at every, every crisis that has happened in this country, right? Over the past 20 plus years. If you notice when the dot-com bubble was in, what happened to the SPY? It broke below its 200 the week of September 2000. It never traded above until 03 May. Then the market went on a run from 03 May to the financial crisis here in January 2008. We broke down and we stayed below. June 2008 is when we broke down and we stayed below all the way up until June 2009. Then notice what happened here. We were able to pretty much stay above from June 2009 all the way until really the, the, the longest time you saw was here in 2018. Well, I told you guys this already. The Chinese trade war. Guess what? We broke below the 200-day Price came down. COVID, price came down. So what does that tell you? Until the SPY gets back above and is able to stay above this 200, we're going to be in this bear market and we're going to yeah. be continuing to move down until we break up, right? So all of your growth stocks, for the most part, right? Look at that double top. This is the same double top that you saw on PayPal and that you saw on Square and other tickers, right? Look at that double top and look at to the date. Most growth stocks topped out Monday, July 26, 2021. You think I'm lying? Let's keep going. <laughs> what, date? what date did I tell you? Monday, July 26. I mean, yeah, 26, 2021. You see that. Now, if you pull up, right, ARK ETF, right? If you pull up the ARK ETF, you'll see that a lot of these growth stocks are in the ARK ETF. And you'll see the same thing, right? Peloton, public participation phase, distribution. Look, it hasn't been above its 200 since 2021. Now let's pull up ARC to give people some ideas. Now, don't ARC chart look just like Square? Don't it look just like Square? Exactly. Now, where is ARC sitting at right now? Some people as well are like, okay, why isn't ARC going any lower? We're at what we call a monthly demand level where price, right, has came back down and it's sitting here, right, at levels that, you know, it hasn't been at since 2020 or been at since 2018 or, or 2017. So look at where ARC is struggling to get below. It's not getting below 30 right now. So these are some, like, just some some tips and points. This is exactly what she was meaning by pay attention to your higher time frames. When you pay attention to your higher time frames, it makes it a lot clearer, right? If you're looking at NVIDIA, it broke down below the 200 in April of this year. Well, NVIDIA just actually today was actually able to get above the 200. It was just able to. But look at that volume where? on NVIDIA today. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, um, let's knock it down to the hour real quick. It went crazy today. Volume went crazy. Volume went crazy. So, yeah, like... You know, I just wanted to show this for people. Hopefully this stuff is making sense and you guys are seeing the pattern and, 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 and what you're seeing on, on these stock charts, man, because the same things are happening, you know, kind of over and over again. And it's just kind of like a repeated, uh, you know, one of those repeat type things. Like, let's pull up Amazon here. Well, people wonder what happened to Amazon. Well, Amazon ain't been the same, you know, since it broke below here last in December. Right. If you look at that, right, prices came down and it's traded below and it's still below. It's actually below all moving averages. Right. 
So you look at that and you see, right, price came down, broke below. So there's you're seeing that same pattern. Now, meta platforms, it ain't traded above since I think it was 320. Yeah, oh, man. 320. Yeah, 320. So if you're looking at meta and wonder, OK, what's happening? Well, meta is not trading above its 200. So when you have this many stocks trading below their 200 day moving averages, it's just really hard for the market to really go up and move in an uptrend. Right. Now, if we want to take a look at the DIA, well, this is what happened on the DIA. People were wondering, well, how did the Dow pull off its best month in October? Well, it broke back above that blue line at 200. So the Dow has been performing pretty strong, and which is why it's the index that's down the least this year, because it's been able to it's been able to outperform its other counterparts and its peers, the SPY and the QQQ. So you see the Dow do the same thing. And so every crisis, right, that you've seen pretty much here on the Dow. Uh, you know, same exact thing. We go to blast to the past. We got a lot. We got, you know, we got a lot of history here, a lot of history. But look here in 2000. Right. But the Dow has always kind of traded, you know, above its 200 better, you know, than other individual uh, like the spy and the QQQ. I showed you at this time in 2001 and 2002 on a spy, the market, you know, we was completely below. But there was points and peaks where the Dow was actually, you know, actually above. And so, you know, you see here in 2008, same thing. But then from 2009, basically all the way till COVID. So you had 11 years where the Dow really never spent more than maybe like two to three months below. Right. And still even here. Right. It only spent a month below its 200. So you really you dealt with this year. You dealt with the longest time that the Dow was below the 200 since 2008. So think about that for a second. These are the types of conditions that you're in. Right. But I know a lot of people are sitting back and looking and I want to pull up some cybersecurity names so people can see as well, too. People say, well, what, what happened to CrowdStrike? Broke below the 200. Same thing. What happened to Zscaler? Broke below the 200. Same thing. Right now. Look what happens when you're trading healthy on the 20 and on the 50 and on the 200 stock price is going to go up. Right. So these are things that you want to watch out and look for. Right. And these things will kind of really, you know, help you. Uh, when it comes to, you know, being able to price predict. Well, people wonder, well, why is oil performing the way it has? Well, for one, we know that Exxon was getting its butt handed to it for the past couple of years before COVID even. Well, look at how it was trading. It was trading below the 200 consistently. And even here, you had a point, obviously, we know what happened here in 2020. But look what's happened. Exxon has not even sneezed at its 200 since last December, right? It came briefly here, excuse me, in September of uh, of 2022, but it's it, it it's it hasn't been below since last September, last September, September 2021, and it broke above here in the beginning of 2021. And look at how Exxon went on a run. So these are things that you have to watch and pay attention to. Last ticker I'll do is Shopify. Well, good old shop. <laughs> look, <laughs> look just like. Look just like Square, right? Accumulation since 2015, public participation from 2019, 2020, 2021, and then this thing got distributed, right? Distribution phase. What is the distribution phase? And I'm gonna turn it back over to the queen. We're gonna go ahead and um, you know, continue this show. But if you take a look, right, the distribution phase, Dow correctly named this phase because of the trading activity going on during this phase. 
said, remember, the smart money buyers who were accumulating during the accumulation phase, they were buying while blood was in the streets. They are the ones selling in the distribution phase. The investors and traders that are often caught, you know, are unaware are the ones normally doing all the buying during the distribution phase, buying from the smart money investors. Some say it's harder to call a market top than bottom. That is somewhat true, but a market top always has, you know, certain characteristics. Market tops form after a long advance and the market seems tired and stops advancing and begins to move sideways. The volume dries up, the market stops making new highs, it no longer has that momentum, right? We talk about, they talk about volume on days when the volume is, is, is light. One thing that I felt was important for me to mention, it talked about margin debt reaches extremely high levels. So if you take a look at debt right now, right? I told people to pay attention to debt crises because in 2000, when we went into that recession and we went to the dot-com bubble, there was a debt crisis. 2008, there was a debt crisis. As much as people don't actually believe that 2019, there was a debt crisis, there was. Uh, debt hit an all-time high. That's why people were hurting so much when COVID came because obviously we know COVID was unexpected, but people were spending like no tomorrow. Credit card balances are only about $2 billion shy of a record. That is a worrisome for me when interest rates are going higher uh, on Wednesday, 50 basis points, whatever you want to call it. So these are things that I would say that you want to watch and, um, you know, definitely be mindful of. But I know that was a lot. Definitely, Queen, I want to get your take on a few things. And if no, you're fine. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I think um, one of the things I was going to add, like when you have the long terms pulled up, like I know I'm more of a short term trader. I do long term invest, of course. But um, a lot of times when I'm looking for opportunities during the, the the day, like intraday trading, I'm still looking at those bigger time frames, because like if we're fighting with the 200 on the daily, like I'm not going to try to trade that, you know, <laughs> like because you can either um, a lot of times it'll chop around and you might get a nice rejection or something like that. Um, but those are a lot of those days I see we're moving sideways. And so I try to see where we're at in, in um, relation to the 200 and also the 50 moving average. Oh, wait, I think the sound went out. Oops, my bad. Yeah, the 50, <laughs> the 50 moving average is so, so, so important. Um, yeah. I love using a 50 moving average. Are you do you like the nine and 21 EMA? Do you use that? They're OK. Yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad. Okay. I'm not mad at yeah. the nine and 21. Um, it's just like there's so many things like a lot of times um, for shorter term things. I do like to use the EMAs and then like longer term. I like the simples. Okay. Um, I totally just lost my train of thought. But I also like to use like um, we use a lot of like geometry stuff. Like I like the fib, but there's like a lot of geometry yeah. that kind of branches off from that. I was um, just telling somebody that this weekend. I was like, "Yo, if you took uh, if you took geometry, you know, that's all that." Because someone was uh, telling me, you know, they're a math teacher. And I'm mm -hmm. like, "Yo, if, I mean, if you're teaching your kids geometry, like." You know, the charts, I feel like shouldn't really be an issue. I just feel like it's a geometry class all over again, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff is like forward looking. So like we have a lot of lagging indicators, but then when you like mix it with the forward looking indicators, it like it cleans up your life a lot on the charts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's one thing that I'm really, really, really excited about. But like, really, it's just um it's just about finding opportunities and not forcing them. Like just let your, let your opportunities come to you mm -hmm. and then just always be thinking in the back of your mind, like long-term, long-term. And like Lawrence said, like this for a lot of companies, this is like prime time for us to be thinking about um, what we want to add to our long-terms for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the, it's, it's prime real estate, man. I, I look at it and say, yo, 
you know, there's no need for uh, Christmas shopping this year. If you no. really love someone, get them some stocks this year. So for definitely, real. definitely, definitely, definitely. So I want to um, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. You were an amazing guest to have thank you. I a lot of comments saying, hey, when can she come back? You get text <laughs> messages saying, yo, we need her back. Um, you know, it's definitely, you know, always been good working with you, you know, from I mean, it's crazy, you know, right. Full circle to have, you know, over 600 plus people sitting here watching, you know, me and Elena, we used to host clubhouse clubhouse rooms, you know, on Sundays and throughout the week, you know, at times like this, 8, 9 p.m. at night. Um, and, you know, we just always wanted to add value to people. So it's always good to, you know, be in the same space as you. Uh, and, you know, I'm de very appreciative of your time. So I definitely want people, you know, make sure you guys are sharing this video, liking this video. Make sure you guys rewatch this because there was a lot of information dropped. Make sure as well um, that you guys drop some comments, drop some fires, drop, you know, just show some love to Elena. But how can they connect with you? Um, what's, you know, make, make sure you, uh, you have your Twitter handle if you want to drop that. And how can they connect with you on Options Bay? Oh, yeah. Thank you all so much for having me. This was so much fun. And I was so nervous. So I'm glad this was, <laughs> it was all good. So, um, yeah, I'm on Twitter, a Nicola Waite. Um, I'm on Instagram at Investing Bay, Options Bay. Um, we have like a free Slack community. We could, if you guys just want to come hang out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm on online. I'm pretty active. So yeah, I love connecting with people. One of my favorite things about Lawrence when I met him was like, he was always super defensive of new traders and I am too. <laughs> like we literally, I hate misinformation. I love to pe for people to have the full story perspective. Yeah. So yeah, um, I'm always happy to connect with you and yeah, thank you. Thanks again for having me. Definitely not queen. So I want to say thank you again. So guys, this was the third episode of Monday night take. So, you know, shout out to the come up series. We're here every Monday, 8 PM EST, uh, 5 PM PST for my Pacific people. A uh, shout out to all the people in LA on the West coast. Uh, next week's guests, I'll leave it a mystery, but you guys are definitely going to enjoy the person that I bring on next. We definitely want to have you back at some point soon. Elena will connect, but y'all make sure you guys like, share this video. You know, this is the number one show on Monday nights for you guys to tap in. Not another place you want to be each and every single week. So we appreciate you guys for tapping in. Thank you very much. And uh, we look forward uh, to seeing you guys next week right back here. So you guys take care. Have a great night. Shout out to Uncle Charles. Shout out to the Goat Mark. Shout out to Joe Lynn. Shout out to Kiki. Shout out to my brother, Jay. Jay. Shout out to Jay. I know he's tapping in here. We appreciate your kind words. And shout out to the entire Come Up Series family. So we appreciate you guys. You guys have a blessed night. See you next week on Monday Night Tech. Peace. Thank you. Good night, y'all.